Welcome to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast, where we explore the conscious use of technology. Listen in to hear thought leaders and other guests discuss the human relationship with technology and learning to thrive in the digital era. Hosted by the author of the international best-selling digital self-mastery series and being at work, Dr. Heidi Forbes Usta. Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. I am so excited. Today, I get to introduce you to an old friend of mine, Claudia Roma Edelman, who is doing some amazing things in the world. And I'm really excited to introduce you to her and to share a little bit of her work. She is currently the co-host of Global Goalscast Podcast and the special advisor to the We Are All Human Foundation. Welcome, Claudia. It's so amazing to be back. Uh, in touch with you, Heidi, and uh, great to be your guest in your podcast. Thank you. It's such a treat to reconnect. And just to give the audience a little bit of background, Claudia and I met, we were just trying to figure it out in the green room, and I think it was exactly. some, somewhere around 10 years ago at a conference in Rome, a Women's International Networking Conference. And uh, we connected amongst an, another group of, of women and have just followed each other's career since. And it's been quite a fun adventure through that process. I think you've come on this incredible journey since then. I think when we first met, you were working for the World Economic Forum. Is that correct? Wow, that's right. Because we met, this was like, what, 10, 15 years ago? Yeah. yeah. Even more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy. So tell me I, a little bit about what you've been up to and, and sort of, you know, where you're at now so our listeners can understand who are who is this amazing person that we've got on the show today. Well, I'm your friend from 10, 15 years ago, and the beauty of it is that we both have managed to come to a place of following each other, being in contact with each other, even if we're not, you know, like living in the same city and come from completely different backgrounds, thanks to technology, and that's part of what we're going to be discussing today. So I am Claudia Romo Edelman. When we met, I was Claudia Gonzalez Romo. I just remarried a couple of years ago, and a little bit of my life has changed since moving to America, which is a, a very different, being a Mexican, Swiss, living in Europe for more than 25 years moving to America, but nevertheless, keeping the same humanitarian and activist, you know, like activist set of activities that I've been doing. Since we met, I was working for the World Economic Forum. I like global. I am a global citizen. I think that I look at the world in that perspective, as in the world connecting the dots. And what I was doing when I met you was working on the anti-globalization movement, trying to get the divides, trying to bridge the divides between the people that I was, you know, like working with, the World Economic Forum, the Davos attendees, if you want, and the other side of the world that were very upset and very angry against that behind the scenes, uh, what they call decision makers and, and uh, capitalists. And actually, at the end of the day, I felt that that was my calling. My calling was to build bridges, to make sure that I was able to connect different parts into the same vision, to align people that have created more divisive language together. And I've been doing that through a number of organizations, be the World Economic Forum or the United Nations Refugee Agency, working for public health until I moved to America, where I was working for UNICEF and the United Nations. Lately, Haiti, I created my own foundation called We Are All Human because moving to America made me realize how 
how how much traction the divisive language was getting and how scary it would be for me after 20 years of working in this world, be gender empowerment, public health, or, you know, like, or, or trying to improve education, how devastating it would be for me if we forget the fundamentals, which is we all belong to the same human family. What happens to one part of the body affects the other. And if we start looking at people with labels, be you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, or you're actually a CEO and I look at you high, or you're a receptionist and I look at you low, or be that we forget that we all are connected one way or the other, it could be very dangerous. And I think that the role of technology plays an incredible role in that division, but also in being part of the solution that we have moving forward. So well said. I think that that's something that we really need to keep in mind is that it's both the, it can both contributes to it, but it can also be part of the solution. And rather than pointing the finger at it as this is the problem, looking at sort of what is actually the problem. I noticed you've recently also been very involved with uh, Thrive Global, which is doing some wonderful things in that bridging space. Can you share a little bit about your work there? Yes. And it is, again, part of the same. It is all part of the same structure. I think that all together, when we are in a place where we get completely consumed and taken by technology, for example, you get bored out. You just think that life is, you know, like life is glued to your phone and that you wake up and you you, you, you sleep with your phone, you wake up your phone, you just live through the technology. And I, I know that a lot of the things that I'm trying to do are related to making sure that humans connect to humans again. And when I started working with Ariana Huffington as her editor at large, I realized that a lot of it is related to simply taking the time to connect to other human beings, to connect to nature again. And while I appreciate our phones and our computers and the role that technology is providing to us, I also know that it is very important for us to be aware that technology, not only as a whole, disconnects you as human to human, but also provides those bubbles in the internet where you can feel that what you read is the world. And remember that algorithms are around you to feed you what you want to read, to tell you what you expect to see, and that there's not... So your world becomes small and, and every time smaller because algorithms will feed you exactly what they know you will actually get into clicking and that creates silos and that creates bubbles and you start forgetting that there is maybe people that have different perspectives and that have different opinions and when you get out of the the technology and when you go to the world you probably have a sense of like who is that that's an other so working with thrive allows me to bring people to break those bubbles, to share their stories, because we all want to go back to a place in which we're able to have a balanced life and enjoy time and work as well as, you know, like work hard and play hard and have a family and have have some structure. And as such, I bring partnerships. I invite people to be part of it. I contribute myself, but also I try to get deeper into my community. So we launched a couple of weeks ago. We announced a couple of weeks ago that we're launching Thrive Hispanics, a space devoted, an online community devoted to allow 
Hispanics to share their stories and to allow Latinas to see themselves with each other. There's a number of role models and champions of the Hispanic community that has not yet come out and told their story about, and it is time for Hispanics to speak up and to speak out and to share more. It's such a wonderful mission, and I, I so appreciate what you're doing. Like you, I spent many years living overseas, and having moved back to the U.S., and particularly having moved to California, you recognize the demographic shift in the U.S., and yet the balance is off. Mm -hmm. My simple mission from a personal level is realizing that I need to learn Spanish, because, you know, I just, I feel like I miss out on part of the conversation and really, and, and not just from listening, but being able to engage in that conversation. What kinds of tools or, or tricks do you have or do you use to, whether it's to cheat the algorithm so that you can hear voices beyond what's filtered specifically for you based on your interactions or how do you break that bubble and create bridges personally or even professionally? I think that the first part is that we have to recognize how much. And again, you know, like through the We Are All Human Foundation, I realized, or through trying to get to the core of it, I was trying to realize what is the problem. And I think that the problem is that we have lost that muscle, that mm. eye that you and I had when we were kids, that I that so, you know, like everyone equally or at least equally interesting to be able to go and play ball and, and play sand. So there is a muscle that we had and that we lost because we started adding labels into different people, into different categories, be economic, be social, be political, be transactional, be racial, and that we would be by far better off by trying to train the muscle again. Mm. It's an acquired taste. It is something that you have to do the same way that you have to make sure that you're stronger than the algorithms that are trying to get you to be addicted to some you know, features and games. The same way you have to actually say, like, I'm going to put my phone down now and I'm going to go and enjoy human beings out there and enjoy having a sunset and look at the colors and exercise that muscle the same way we have to go back to try to train that eye that connects to the going beyond the initial labels. So we have to train that by saying, I will read this week one thing that I normally don't read. For example, if you're a Fox News reader, Normally, you probably won't read the New York Times or something like that, like, the, you know, like different perspectives. So if you try yourself to engage your muscle to say, I'm going to be more open, I will try to train back my muscle of seeing humans for humans. If you go out in the street and you say, like, you know what, I'm going to try to see people by people. I'm going to try to read something that it doesn't belong to me. I will actually try to be more conscious about the biases that occur into my life. You yourself are building the bridges that are necessary. Me, in my foundation, we're doing content that tries to do that through the Global Goalscast, for example, where we're trying to explain complex issues in a compelling way by putting all sides of the stories so that people themselves can make their own opinions. Because I think that that's a problem we have right now, that people are not entitled to facts anymore. And through fake news and other you know, like an other uh, information flowing that people don't trust anymore what they are reading or what they're seeing. So part of my own 
mission to build bridges is to provide content that is, you know, like in a way providing in a compelling way both sides of the story so that people can make their own opinion about issues like migration. Mm. So critical right now. And I mean, it's just such a trying time or challenging time. But I guess, in a way, we should be looking at that as an opportunity for really diving into the dialogue and creating the dialogue and practicing taking off our judgment hats. That's something that I sort of joke with my kids. It's like, yeah, okay, I know, I realize sometimes I need to take my judgment hat off. And sometimes it's in an interaction with them, because I'm, you know, I'm putting my my Generation X hat on in terms of my judgment about what they should be doing with their free time, (laughs) which is very different for Generation (laughs) Z, you know, so it's, (laughs) I mean, you have kids, I think, around the same age as mine. And, and sort of training them to, as you say, working with that muscle of withholding judgment, and just being open to different perspectives, I think is a really powerful tool that in some ways they can teach us better than we can teach them. Yes, yes. And you know what? The beauty of this is that our children's generation, they don't have the patience to wait for anybody to take action. They are not going to sit down saying like, okay, let's see what governments do for education of future generations. Let me see what they do about my planet. No way. They are going to go and take the world with their hands so the best that we can do as parents, as, you know, like as, as guardians of the next generations is to provide them with the tools so that we change the equation from having a world that is problem-based to a world that is solutions-based. And my personal mission is to make sure that the fundamental thing that I think is at risk where I can address, which is diversity, inclusion, the sense of being human, I provide that to them so that people can say, you know what? I don't agree with what, you know, like with the poisoning political languages. I don't want to call people to be bad hombres. I don't want to build bridges, uh, walls. I don't want to be that racist person that, you know, like that the world is turning into. So let me make a stand by saying we are all human. So going into, you know, like going into areas where people can make choices based on actions and providing them with solutions, providing them with content, providing them with actions that young people can take is part of what I want to deliver. Because your kids and I are a very different generation. Absolutely. They are seriously action takers. And I agree with you 100%. I have immense hope for this generation. And I think that they're going to do some incredible things. They already are if we look at even their track record so far. So it's pretty exciting. How do you see, because you've sort of moved through big organizations on lots of different levels, but predominantly on you doing things like communications and PR and working more and sort of the looking at the strategic, how do we change thinking and, and express things clearly so that everybody, so that it has more reach and, and resonance. How do you see that is changing and What are your thoughts on what we might see in the near future that could help us actually change the way people think in a positive way? Maybe it's the tools, but maybe it's just the younger generation and empowering them with the tools. In terms of the actions that people can take, is that the question? Well, see, actions people can take, but also how do you see the, the, the technology or the tools having changed the way, the opportunities for taking those actions, I guess? 
Oh, I'm incredible. I mean, like I'm a true believer of technology, don't get me wrong, but I will start with laying the areas where I think technology can be dangerous and then going into the areas where technology can be the solution or where technology can play a role. And then how does that come to younger generations, right? Sure. So part of the problem that I think of technology in, in terms of like altogether is that instead of, I was a true believer in technology, that it will connect us and it was going to be the one thing that will be exponentially changing everything I was trying to do as a humanitarian. But then I got disappointed because it disconnected people as opposed to connecting them. It just alienated them. I think that technology companies could have taken more responsibility of global issues as opposed to not. Their business model was not trained for that, but they are changing. So my hope is that by busting bubbles, by having the technology companies, you know, taking responsibility and allowing for people to see what, you know, the dangers are, particularly in a world in which everything will be automated, um, it will be an important, you know, like an important move. And I think that for young people, having that consciousness of taking technology as a way of um, communicating more than connecting and being more connected to other humans will be very, very important. And I think that's happening. Yeah, no, I think it is. I certainly still have great hope. And I do think the growth of the conversation around the ethics has made some incredible steps in the right direction. We're going to take a really quick break to hear from our sponsor. And we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Oscar Wellness. When pain stops, life begins. Oscar Pulse mimics the body's own recovery processes to relieve pain, muscle stiffness, and inflammation using optimized pulsed electromagnetic field technology, PEMF, to encourage recovery at a cellular level so you can get back to life. And I gotta tell you, this thing works so well, my husband and I are fighting over it. So I highly recommend you take a moment and try it out. They have all kinds of options for checking it out, and they've even given us an opportunity to share a discount with you, $55, by using the 2BU code on the Oscar Wellness site. You can check out the show notes to get more details. And we're back. And on our last piece of this, I would love to dig a little bit into... Claudia, on how you use technology and your life as a global citizen, an executive that has lived in many different countries, you've seen and experienced many parts of the world. But you've also, because of that, you have, like me, have an expansive network of people with varying connections and capabilities. And how has technology helped you remain connected, both to your community, but also to yourself? And that's sort of a two-part question, but I guess the community piece we'll start with. Well, there's no other way for me, having lived outside of my home country for 28 years, to remain authentic to my roots outside technology. There's no way in which I can be more grateful to having followed the growth of my nieces, my nephews, my country, my culture, my music, if it wouldn't have been for, for technology, because technology really is able to shorten the distances that uh, a lot of expats and people that have been living outside of their country, there's 20, uh, 255 
million people in the world in my situation, which is living outside of their own home. Those are called migrants. And for migrants, technology is a way to be alive, to be connected, to make sure that you don't have a disconnection at the at the core, at your personal level. But also technology, you know, like technology at my own community, uh, community life, whatever it has been, has been essential. And it has been essential in terms of allowing me to improve my life and to connect also in, in, in ways in which I will keep track of my own objectives as a, as a woman, as a mother, as, you know, like as a humanitarian, as, as a wife. So altogether, I think that at the, uh, at the personal level and at the, so at the community level, technology is essential for, for migrants and people like that are living outside of their home. Now, if we can, I can tell you that working in particularly in the issues of migration and refugee camps, technology is a life-saving mm. mechanism. There is nothing that you can imagine. Just just put yourself into the shoes of a woman that be through an earthquake or or call it a natural disaster or you know like or an economical place. Imagine that you have to be in a in a position of emergency and leave everything that you have. Without technology, you might be at danger of actually losing track of your children. You might actually be disconnected from your family, and technology is able to save you. But also, if you're the governor of a city that has been hit by a disaster or that has received a number of people, or if you're the leader of a refugee camp, you can actually geolocate to technology when, where and where you need there to be pulled so that you can help. Um, your community. You can also see where um, people uh, are moving when when there's a when there's a natural disaster. So technology has been the one tool that has allowed me to fight for AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. To be able to put refugees on the map, to be able to communicate, to be able to um, try to win the hearts and the minds of the people when it's necessary for different causes. So yes, there's nothing in my life that I can trace back over the last 20 years that is not related to technology. Yeah, it's it's such a powerful tool. And you just gave some amazing examples, particularly when you're thinking about refugees or people that have been separated by any means, and and just the powerful tool of the simple smartphone, but particularly when you can do things like tracking and geolocation. And even as a parent, just being able to know where my teens are and find my friends. But that's only a small scale. I mean, think about earthquakes or, or any other kind of uh, disaster, you know, and, and that's only a natural disaster. I can imagine life in recovery is so completely different these days. And the ability to support those communities just phenomenally different. So I just commend you on the amazing work that you've done and just so appreciate all the powerful tools that you've worked with over the years and the efforts that you've made. It's been very cool to watch your journey. And I feel sort of a sense of pride in knowing that, oh, my friend Claudia did that. She's so cool. There's one thing that I guess you're the followers of your podcast and everyone that I can talk to, I, I am trying to actually get the sense of probably you in San Francisco, you have it, and all around the world, I seen like disconnect to connect again. Yeah, I seen like let's let's make sure that we, as responsible citizens, as mothers, as family leaders, we have that sense of how 
the benefits and the solutions, uh, the benefits, but also the dangers and the problems, but also the solutions that we're faced with with technology. So on the one hand, it is important to make us effective and, you know, like to make sure that we have a sense of accomplishment and that we have a sense of direction. But at the same time, I think that it would be important for us to know how and when to disconnect so that we can be connected again to the planet, to the people, that we can train that muscle again of being humans, that through technology is not going to happen, although I'm working very, very hard to try to get to technology companies, with technology companies, to try to change those biases and those stereotypes, those stereotypes that machine learning biases have. Mm. But the reality is that we all can put some more pressure in tech companies, put some more pressure in ourselves to say, you know what, this is not good enough. I I want to make sure that there is more responsibility put into, you know, like the way that we're using uh, where technology is used. We want to make sure that we are fed with content that is appropriate, that is conducive, that is going to allow me to live the life that I deserve and that my kids deserve without being fed into fear or, you know, like without being fed into information that is not necessary. We have the right to demand as consumers, not only leaving Facebook as, you know, there's an stampede of people doing it, but just saying, you know what, we expect more. We expect Mm -hmm. more hate online be banished and banned. And, you know, we expect more because technology can really, really help in a world in which there's going to be increasingly jobs made by technology. And through technology, we just need to make sure that the rights of everyone are protected that we are getting into this as a society together that we can get into a that we can get into a place where technology is an ally of society and not you know like not compromising society as a whole Absolutely. And to your point of, and just even the title of your foundation, We Are All Human, really emphasizing that that factor. And in some ways, technology has been helpful because, you know, when, you know, if you're working on technology, people can't automatically create a bias just because, you know, because they can't see you and they can't hear your accent and they can't, but you can still have that interaction. But we mm-hmm. still need to flex that muscle. And I think it, the, the more tools that it sounds like you have a great toolkit, uh, for people to really learn how to flex that muscle. Is that something that is accessible for the general population or do, or how, how can people access what, you know, what you're working on or be part of your movement? Wow. So the first one is subscribe to our podcast, the Global Goalscast, and we're going to go into languages. So this is the podcast about the sustainable development goals, but I promise it doesn't, it, it doesn't go into a sleeping pill exercise. It's really compelling and nice. <laughs> and we have more than 12 UN agencies and more than 45 non-for-profits that are behind it. We're distributed by CBS. We have the music of Gabriel and Duran Duran and a huge number of musicians and, you know, like partners give us world-class resources so that we can operate in, you know, like, because it's important. It is important, Haiti, that we realize that the world is making progress, mm. that this is the best time of history, that if you would be a baby, there would be no better place to be born than today. If you're a girl, there's no other time in history in which you can have more advances. So let's be optimistic because what we're doing is working. 
what is happening. Let's keep moving. And we have to celebrate the champions that are making a difference because that's contagious. We need more inspiration. We need more role models. We need to give ourselves the dessert, you know, recognition for us to be optimistic, not blind optimistic, but just let's keep on being optimists. Let's keep on actually trying to get more to the two sides of the story. Let's see migration as it is as opposed to by fear. Let's see how girls' empowerment is something that will change the world for good, not for bad. Let's actually start looking at, you know, like let's actually start admiring again uh, people from different countries that are doing great stuff. So the first thing is listen to the Global Goals cast, either in English now or later in the year in six different languages. But the other is in the meantime, while you know, like, well, we have, we're launching at in the fall with different things and, you know, like we're in the cover of a, a women's magazine in the fall and so on. But in the meantime, I think that what people could do is just be aware, just be aware of that, that little muscle, be aware in your kids, be aware in yourself, be aware when, you know, like when you're, when you're walking in the street, try to see people for people. Try to see that when, you know, like social media is anonymous, it's really, it's really tempting, isn't it? Just to say something bad because no one really knows who you are. If you're not using, if you're using an avatar, if you have like, if you, if you know people that are using a fake name, just don't use it. Mm. Make the choice. Be conscious of it. Yeah. It's so true that just that consciousness piece. And that's a lot of what I teach being conscious of your own behaviors, your own responses. And I think that it's unfortunately we often really, operate, we're so busy that we operate very unconsciously. And uh, just flexing that muscle mm -hmm. to be more conscious about how we respond to other humans, and to ourselves. Uh, before we sign off, I have a quick question for you, because this is one of my favorite things to ask yes. people is, what do you do for self care? Some people have favorite meditation apps, or they use different wearable devices, or for some, it's just making sure that they have proper boundaries around their technology, logging stations so that they don't keep the phone in the bedroom. What are your favorite tips <laughs> for self-care for yourself and for your family? So we have a system of, we do have rules. It is hard. It is tempting. You, you can imagine, you know, like the way I try to picture it to my kids at least is there's at least 100 engineers every day behind the screen of Facebook trying to get your attention and I have to fight against them, right? Like, so it's going to be hard for me to do it. So we have to establish some rules. So here are some of the things that we established. We will favor giving exercise time at least five to six times a week. We will try to put the phone to bed, um, my kids between four to seven every night. And my husband is very strict with me of putting my phone down at 9.30. We're trying to move the phones out of the bedroom, but it is hard. And I think that being part of Thrive has helped me be conscious of the rules and the and, and the do's and the don'ts we have to be part of. Yeah, Ariana's quite strict on that. Is, <laughs> I know, I know. But the other thing is actually trying to get into the habit of talking and, and having having discussions with humans. So during table time, during meals, breakfast, dinners, and, and, and lunch, we're going back to the no-tech no rules. Let's see how it goes. But if everybody in Silicon Valley is doing that with their kids, I bet we should do it too. 
Not a bad idea. And we, you know, we try to enforce it as much as possible. And I, I think, you know, one of the uh, the classic conundrums is that uh, the parents are usually more guilty than the, the kids are. So it's hard to for the parents to say no when they still have their cell phone in their hands. So yes. <laughs> it's a it's a challenge. Yes. It's a challenge. But it's I think it's yes. one that we all need to take on just like flexing that muscle of removing judgment. I think it's important stuff in that exercise piece too. Just getting out and uh, and experiencing a little bit of your own body and nature. And you mentioned nature before, and I think that's uh, I, you know what. Big piece. There's one thing that we started doing a year ago, and that has been wonderful. Probably not more than a year ago. Probably it's more like three. Which is saying one thing, congratulating yourself one one thing a day. So at night, when I go and kiss my kids good night, the exercise is. Say congratulations, congratulations to you for doing one thing. And that honestly has been incredible for me to see as a mother, how much self-confidence it built into my kids. And I started doing that and it feels really good. Yeah, I love that. I love that. We have the sort of the opposite in the, which is in the morning, we have sort of a gratitude practice. And actually with my clients, we do a gratitude practice for our technology. And that sounds kind of funny, but for people that have a uh, conflicting relationship with technology or conflicting relationship with anything, if they develop a gratitude practice around it, it really changes the dynamic and turns it more positive. So whether it's uh, being thankful it. or have it or or just congratulatory i think that there's the you know that positive feedback is so important good for you for and in that note i'm very grateful to you for having me um in your program and i'm great very grateful for the time that we had today and to reconnect Yes, thank you so much for joining me today, Claudia. And for those of you out there listening, Digital Selfers, it has been my honor to share Claudia with you today and for you to be joining us. We look forward to connecting again next week on the Evolving Digital Self. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review so others can find us too. And you don't miss an episode. Until then, bye bye for now. Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self-mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.